a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From Xi Jinping headquarters in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Jin Jinfeng. The headlines we're tracking at this hour. Stronger ties. A Chinese delegation is visiting Malaysia to mark the 50th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic ties between two countries as part of China's efforts to boost international trade and expand overseas markets. Building bridges. In our new series, Surfing the E-commerce Wave, we investigate how Chengdu is helping its traditional manufacturing industries to go international through e-commerce platforms. And fostering innovation, the World Digital Education Conference kicks off in Shanghai with discussions centered on digital education's applications, sharing and innovation. We look at China's efforts to boost international trade ties and expand overseas markets. The China Council for the Promotion of International Trade is visiting Malaysia, Singapore, Japan from January 28 to February 6. Arun Hongbin, the chairman of the council, attended the joint meeting of the China-Malaysia Business Council. Trade ties between China and Malaysia are very close. According to official data from China's General Administration of Customs, in 2023, the bilateral trade volume between China and Malaysia reached over 190 billion US dollars, remaining flat compared to the level in 2022. And by the end of July 2023, Malaysia's actual investment in China amounted to 9.2 billion dollars, and China's investment in Malaysia amounted to nearly 17 billion dollars. China has been Malaysia's largest trading partner for 14 consecutive years as of 2022. China's main imports from Malaysia include components and palm oil. China's main exports to Malaysia includes computer and related products, integrated circuits, clothing and textiles. For more on the reactions from Malaysia, let's cross to our reporter Ryan Melzer in Kuala Lumpur. Ryan, uh, could you share the insights of the meeting and impact of the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade's visit to Malaysia? Yes, well, the visit was for the joint meeting of the Malaysia-China Business Council, the first time it's been held in person since the pandemic. And the uh, head of the China Council for Trade uh, for Trade Promotion, Investment Promotion, brought a large delegation with him. It included representatives of numerous industries, of cities and regions, of trade industries, of some of these big trade fairs that China has, especially the one that's looking to promote the integration of supply chains, part of which is very important, Malaysia being a very important part of China's supply chain in the electronics sector. And there was also a very high-level uh, turnout from the Malaysian side too, strong business turnout, government turnout as well, the prime minister's uh, political secretary was there. There was a speech by the deputy trade minister, as well as by Run Hengbon, uh, the uh, head of the China Trade Promotion and in, uh, Investment uh, Agency. And of course, all this is coinciding with the 50th anniversary of diplomatic ties between the two countries. So it takes on a special significance. The trade is already very deep, as you said. Malaysia, China has been Malaysia's number one trading partner for 15 straight years. But where we've seen things really take off in recent years since the advent of the Belt and Road Initiative is on the investment front. Malaysia actually used to be a bigger investor in China than the other way around. But that's really turned on its head since the Belt and Road Initiative. And China has invested billions of dollars in multiple industries, as you also mentioned. Just since Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim took power, 
late in 2022, there have been billions more dollars worth of pledged investment by Chinese companies in joint ventures looking to collaborate with Malaysia, looking to use Malaysia as a springboard into Southeast Asia and beyond. And that was an appeal by Malaysia's trade minister. That's something that others from the China side also talked about, is about Malaysia's potential as a hub for Chinese business, that the two countries can collaborate and use Malaysia given its geopolitical positioning, its strategic positioning within ASEAN, within Asia. They can use it as a springboard into other parts of the world, particularly in Southeast Asia. So really, this meeting is about strengthening bonds, deepening bonds, about looking ahead to the 50th anniversary of diplomatic ties, not only to celebrate the political connections between the countries, but to deepen the trade, investment and people-to-people -people ties too. Very positive takeaway from all the speakers. And certainly we expect this to be just the first of a number of events that will happen during this year that will focus on the political, on the economic, on the people-to-people -people ties as they celebrate, the two countries celebrate 50 years of diplomatic ties. Thank you so much for your report on that. Ramelza for us from Kuala Lumpur. And China's efforts under the Belt and Road Initiative have led to significant cooperation with M M Malaysia, particularly in the areas of transportation and manufacturing. China's largest rolling stock maker has established a factory in Batu Gaya, Malaysia, which has strengthened transportation cooperation and local development with the promise of turning the area into a regional manufacturing hub. Our reporter Huang Yue has the details. Pankosun is a staff member at the after-sales service department of the Malaysian factory operated by China Railway Rolling Stock Corporation, or CRRC. Born and raised in Batu Gaja, a city roughly 200 kilometers from Malaysia's capital Kuala Lumpur, Pan says when he was young, driving was the only option when traveling to the capital. But for his niece, who attends a university in Kuala Lumpur, weekly trips back to Batu Gaja are comfortably made by train. Sometimes I'd ask, what train did you take? Was it comfortable? She said the train was pleasant and clean, and I'd feel very proud because the train was made by the company I work with. It's a sense of accomplishment. Pan is just one of the local employees at CRRC's Malaysian Center. Since it launched in 2015, the factory has prioritized localization with over 80% of its workforce coming from Malaysia. This manufacturing center represents CRRC's first overseas base and is capable of producing electric and diesel locomotives as well as metro and light rail vehicles. This makes Malaysia the first ASEAN member to have the capacity to manufacture rail transit equipment. Since 2015, we've already completed four local orders with an annual capacity of manufacturing 100 electric multiple units, accounting for 80% of the Malaysian market. In addition to manufacturing, maintenance plays a significant role in the company's Malaysian operations. Staff members are dispatched to railway depots for around-the-clock maintenance, especially during festivals when passenger traffic surges. The train you just saw was heading to Batu Caves, a popular tourist destination and also a pilgrimage site for Tamil Hindus. During the Taipusam festival, the railway line runs 24 hours per day for three consecutive days, so our staff are also on standby to ensure normal operations. 
When talking about the Maritime Silk Road, Malaysia is the place that must be mentioned because the ancient Chinese navigator Zheng He visited Malacca for five times between 1405 and 1433. As an important stop along the ancient Maritime Silk Road, Malaysia is now playing a significant role in building the 21st century Maritime Silk Road. And if Zheng He lives in this century, he will be astonished to find that high-speed trains instead of ships or horses would take him travel across Malaysia. And they are much faster, more comfortable, and more efficient. Hoya CGTN in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Come up next. Building bridges in our new series, Surfing the E-Commerce Wave, we investigate how Chengdu is helping its traditional manufacturing industries to go international through e-commerce platforms. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global Business. Only on CGTN. China's cross-border e-commerce as a new form and model of foreign trade has seen robust growth in recent years. The Central Economic Work Conference has made it clear that more steps will be adopted to bolster trade and uh, in this sector starting from today. Sudetian Global Business launches a new series surfing the e-commerce wave from local government-supported measures to Chinese shopping sites expansion in overseas markets. We'll explore the new growth opportunities and challenges of cross-border e-commerce. In recent years, Chengdu in Sichuan province has been actively promoting the e-commerce plus traditional industries model to boost foreign trade. Our reporter Zhu Zhu takes you to an e-commerce foreign trade company in the city to delve deeper into this strategy. The Chengdu Municipal Bureau of Commerce has introduced an action plan to facilitate its traditional manufacturing industries to go international through e-commerce platforms. To achieve this, it emphasizes collaboration with foreign trade service companies. There are around 3,000 cross-border e-commerce companies here in Chengdu, and in the first 11 months of last year, their total import and export surged over 10% year-on-year, despite amid challenges for China's foreign trade. This growth can be attributed to the innovative services provided by these companies to support traditional manufacturing sectors. We offer domestic sales and operational solutions to our customers in traditional industries, along with warehousing and logistics services. With warehouses in both East and West China, we can significantly reduce their shipping costs. Moreover, the company automates the weighing, sorting, and shipping processes for products from traditional industries. Food packages ordered by consumers, we utilize automated assembly lines for packaging. Here, we have automated weighing and sorting equipment. Previously, weighing required a significant amount of manual labor, but now it's a simple automated process. Looking ahead, the Sichuan Provincial Business Work Conference aims to help set up 1,000 new import and export businesses this year. Zhuzhu, CGTN, Chengdu, Sichuan Province. Cross-border e-commerce maintained strong growth momentum in China last year, with sales reaching 330 billion U.S. dollars. 
as more than 15% year-on-year increase and a 5.7% share of the country's total goods trade in 2023. It came with continued expansion of China's cross-border online shopper group, which has quadrupled over the past eight years to 163 million. Domestic retailers are also catching up. In a recent report jointly released by the Standard Chartered and the Shanghai Academy of Social Sciences, two Chinese shopping sites made it, on, made it onto the top 10 list of the world's best cross-border e-commerce platform. They are Alibaba and JD.com. Following on from this success to the United States, Chinese online shopping platform Temu is now proving a big hit with shoppers in the United Kingdom. After a rapid rise driven by social media influencers, the UK is now Temu's third biggest market behind the US and Mexico. Our correspondent, uh, Selbham McCall, reports. Temu was downloaded 19 million times in the United Kingdom in 2023 and is currently ranking as the country's most popular iPhone app. It only launched in Britain last April. Its rapid rise heavily driven by social media influences and their so-called Timu hauls. Welcome back to a brand new Timu haul video. My first Timu order has arrived. I have clothing, makeup, home stuff. Timu's tagline is shop like a billionaire, but don't expect to find expensive luxury items. It's all about low prices and huge discounts of up to 90%. Inspired by these influences, I did my own very first Timo haul. And here are the, some of the items that I bought. A hot water bottle, some gloves from winter, some makeup brushes. And it's quite surprising to see just how much cheaper Timo is than some of its rivals. This Timo haul cost me around 13 US dollars. A similar six items on Amazon cost closer to 70 US dollars, so that's a saving of around $55 in just one shop. And during a cost of living crisis in the UK, it's proving very appealing to shoppers. There were recent accusations in the UK and the US that the firm uses forced labour, something Timu vehemently denies. Get three items you like for free. While there are also unverified reports that Timu is losing up to $30 per order as it looks to build its customer base. Critics have drawn comparisons with Wish.com, an American e-commerce site also famous for its low prices. Wish was valued at $22 billion in 2020. Two years later, that was down to $450 million amid scaled-back advertising and growing competition. But market intelligence experts say Timu is doing well in the UK because it offers more than just low prices. It's come to market with a very different strategy. It's using things like uh, the roulette wheel in terms of discounts, a bit more fun and lighthearted than we've seen from many other brands entering the UK market. And that's helped it to stand out. Timu became the second most visited commerce site in the world last month in terms of unique visitors, with 467 million, joint with AliExpress. While total e-commerce trade of Chinese companies outside China 
was estimated to be worth around 230 billion US dollars in the first three quarters of 2023, 14% up on the previous year. What do you think is making Chinese companies stand out when it comes to cross-border e-commerce? I think from a UK perspective, it's because they are doing something a little different. Obviously, the, the pricing works. You know, the likes of Sheen, likes of Timu tend to be the lowest price in the market. So that does grab attention. But they're also very good at engaging shoppers, not just now, but longer term. So what next for Timu? 2024 will be its first full year in the UK. And with Google searches up almost 3,000% in 2023, some analysts predict another impressive 12 months. Siobhan McCall, CGTN, London. For more e-commerce platforms and cross-border economy, let's bring in Xu Kai, an associate professor at the School of Economics at Zhejiang University. Thank you for joining us. Uh, what are the advantages and opportunities brought by e-commerce across border e-commerce platforms to the developments of global trade? Well, um, doing business in another country actually involves a, a very high fixed cost uh, or upfront cost. Um, and that uh, traditionally, that that kind of falls out uh, the small merchants or like small or middle merchants uh, or companies to engage in international trade. Um, now, the, the platform, the e-commerce platform, uh, helps reduce these uh, obstacles to doing business in another country. So I think that's the main driver of this popularity of these uh, e-commerce platforms. And uh, what factors contribute to the uh, Chinese uh, cross-border e-commerce platforms popularity, such as uh, Timu and Xi'in, in foreign markets? Yeah, um, consumers around the world, they want the same thing, uh, basically. So they want quality goods at a, a cheap price, right? Now, uh, behind that cheap price, uh, low price, that involves a lot of the efficiency uh, requirements. Now, Chinese e-commerce firms, because of the, uh, the history, the development in the past 10 to 20 years, has been very good uh, being uh, drive up efficiency and drive down cost. And I think that's what we are uh, witnessing right now. That's, uh, and we are just bringing it outside China. Mm. Now, what's the current status quo of uh, e-commerce platforms and emerging trends? Um, I think we are actually just starting. Uh, 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 the Chinese uh, e-commerce platforms, I think they're still looking for uh, what's the correct way of doing it. And I don't think we quite uh, have the answer. So, for example, some of them are trying to incorporate, uh, like, uh, spend more uh, in terms of the chain, uh, get involved in logistics, and some of them try to uh, expand to uh, new ge geographic uh, areas, such as the the Southeast uh, Asian countries. Mm. So, um, so we are just at the beginning, and um, I think there uh, we are exploring uh, what's the correct way of doing it. Right. So, telling uh, the right stories, giving the market right information. I guess. Exactly. Thank you so much. That's uh, Associate yeah. Professor Xu Kai from the School of Economics at Zhejiang University. The 2024 World Digital Education Conference is underway in China's eastern city of Shanghai. The two-day event is co-hosted by China's Education Ministry, its National Commission for UNESCO and the Shanghai Municipal Government. With the theme, Digital Education, Application Sharing and Innovation, the conference zooms in on issues such as digital literacy for teachers, education digitalization, digital ethics 
and digital governance in education. The conference is set to release the Global Digital Education Development Index on Wednesday, as well as a report on China's smart education. For the latest updates on the uh, education conference in Shanghai, let's cross to our reporter Lu Surey. Well, Surey, can you tell us about the conference? What's the highlights so far? In fact, there are many highlights of the conference, but the one that impressed me the most is this online educational model introduced by a president from Queen Mary University of London. Because this model is quite similar to the one that I grew up with, but uh, made with a lot of breakthroughs. So, 20 years ago, I studied in this class that was um, th this type of class that was being uh, live streamed to hundreds of schools, hundreds of classes in the rural areas. So in that way, um, they hope that we can share the good teachers, good educational resources to the students from the remote areas. Uh, but I myself didn't like that uh, model that much because I realized that the students from those re remote areas was not able to participate into our class. And because I finally became a pen pal with many of the students from those <laughs> remote areas, and I, I realized that uh, because because we uh, grew up in different uh, backgrounds, so they have problem in understanding what's uh, actually what's going on in our class and to try to understand some irrelevant issues, irrelevant information. So oh. I was thinking if they can actually participate in the class and raise the issue, the question right away, it would be much easier for them. And today, these uh, principal told, told me that uh, mm -hmm. during this cooperation between his school and the schools in China, in fact, they can simultaneously share this class with hundreds of class uh, students and uh, they can actually participate in the class right away and most of the time the students online are more active than the students in the class and also China released a digital uh, a report about the level of digital education uh, across the world and in fact this is the first report um, uh, that actually measure the proficiency of digital education across the world. I've not been able to see the report, but I've talked to the head of the department that released this report, and he told me that it has become a trend for countries across the world to develop digital education, although it's still uh, during its initial stage, but uh, people are uh, investing increasingly amount of time and efforts into it, and China is actually leading in this area. And also, I've talked about some ethical issues of using technology in the uh, education, for example, AI technology, and all the experts uh, share similar views that uh, it is absolutely necessary to uh, teach and to use uh, AI technology in mm. today's class because the industries are using this technology and we should prepare students for today's society and for the future. Um, mm -hmm. But the thing is that uh, we need to better our regulation and to train teachers better in how to use AI and to guide their students. Back to you. Yeah, rescaling of uh, AI on every stage. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your share of your personal experience in this. That illustrates for us. January 30th is the fifth day of the Spring Festival travel rush in China. Transportation authorities estimate 37 million cars will traverse the country's expressways on a daily basis. That marks a 7.5% increase compared to last year. Meanwhile, China's meteorological authorities have issued alerts for rain and heavy snowfall from January 31st until February 5th. Much of China's northeastern and central regions will experience snowfall and blizzards. 
while many parts of the eastern and southern region will experience rainstorms. In Uganda, the Chinese community has kicked off Lunar New Year Festival with traditional food, music, fashion and art infused with African touches characterize the celebrations. CityTune's Michael Belek has more from Uganda's capital, Kampala. Celebrating the Chinese Lunar New Year in style, marking the year of the long, also known as the year of the Chinese dragon. And the festival here in Kampala showcased Chinese culture and traditions while also highlighting the interactions between the people of China and Uganda. Actually, this is the uh, first time uh, by the Chinese community to organize uh, these uh, spring uh, festival uh, celebrations after the uh, COVID uh, broke out. And now we are happy to see that the ending of this uh, COVID-19. So uh, for, last, for the last year, the Chinese community are working very hard and their lives are returning to the normal. So we are celebrating uh, this uh, occasion. All kinds of Chinese-made products were on display here. They included heavy machinery, household items and different cuisines. Some of them rare traditional dishes of meats to vegetables. What we are making here is the most popular noodle in China. You know, it's called the Luo Sifen. So uh, that's basically where I'm from. Yeah, so uh, I think in the whole Africa, I'm the only one making this. So this noodle has like a, above 10 different ingredients on top. You know, uh, the most special one is uh, sour bamboo. Different performances grace the stage, from music and dance by children and adults, both Chinese and Ugandans. Some Ugandans wore traditional Chinese outfits to blend in. Others like these two, a Ugandan and a Chinese artist, painted together for charity. People look into the east, and when the sun rises, and a lot of the, like, the good things will happen. So that means our future is beautiful. And um, it's called the red in the east. So it means the hope in the east. So I like the day, daylight and the downtime. When you look at the sky, all the beautiful things can inspire you. You have the good feeling towards your future. I always uh, like to collaborate as an artist because art is a universal language. In fact, when we talk about art, then there are no boundaries, no countries, no races. You know, it's just uh, a way to communicate and be able to exchange dialogues and conversations. And China has a long history of understanding civilization and documentation. In China, the Spring Festival is also an important family reunion occasion. People spend a substantial part of their time decorating and uplifting their homes and surroundings to welcome the gods of wealth. It's a Chinese celebration, but it has attracted a lot of Ugandans, Indians and many others from all walks of life. They are here to eat, drink and dance but above all, celebrate China. Michael Balekesi, GTN, Kampala, Uganda. We'll wrap up this edition of Global Business on Twitter.